Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. Galatians 6. And so if you're not sure exactly where that's at, if you get past the Gospels, a couple of the letters of Paul, uh, three to be particular, uh, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, then you're in Galatians, and uh, just follow the numbers from there. Chapter 6, and Paul is dealing with uh, some legalism that's taking place within the church, and uh, he gives us a principle I want to talk about. We are, we're going to look at the context of it, but I want to draw out the enduring principle that he's bringing up. And uh, I thought about, when I, back when I was a boy, um, eight or nine, I, I went with a friend to a kid's camp in Oklahoma. And there were churches from all across the neighboring states. So I don't know if you know what's around Oklahoma, but there's Arkansas, Kansas, where, where, where I'm from. Um, I think New Mexico on one border. Uh, Texas, and uh, so people came from, in Oklahoma, people came from all over the place, and uh, I remember this boy uh, who was trying to impress this girl, remember, we're kids, we're not very savvy about these kinds of things, uh, I don't know if we, we are yet, but uh, I remember him trying to impress this girl in the lunch line, and, and I don't remember exactly as it happened, but it went something like this, that he saw she was getting bread. And he said, you know where bread comes from, right? And, uh, or he said, no, he said, you like bread, huh? And I think she probably said yes. And he said, you know where bread comes from, right, or what it comes from? And she said, I think so, wheat. And he said, you know where wheat comes from? Kansas. Guess who else comes from Kansas? <laughs> this guy. It was something like that, that he was throwing out there that he was uh, from Kansas. You know, it made me... It made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. I was really, I was really um, impressed with his boldness and courage to do that. But I wanted to be from another state at that moment. So, in case you're wondering, it wasn't me that did that. It was another guy. So, I admired his nerve. But when I, I want to talk about a, a farming illustration, and in order to do that, you need to know I'm from Kansas, but I'm from the suburbs. And so everything I know about farming, I observed on the way to and from school or the mall or wherever else. Not from the fields. I, don't, I never uh, really saw that as a kid, uh, other than you saw the big combines. Combines are these massive tractors that are used to harvest the wheat. And at a certain time of year, they come out. And at other times of year, they bring out the plows and they till up the ground and there's a certain smell that goes with that uh, that's, that is very unique, of the, the ground being tilled up. And then, of course, when they till, there's a particular time that they have to plant the crops. And there's a lot of different crops that are grown there, but they, they have this time when they plow the ground to break up the soil to plant the wheat, and then they need to plant when the season is right so that they can harvest at the right time to get the maximum harvest. Everybody follow that? That There's some timing to this that just because you don't want to do it at that particular time doesn't mean you can not do it. If you're a farmer, you got to do those things when they need to happen. You with me? Okay, so I know that that's the case. And, and so they planted the right kind of seed. They planted at the right particular time. 
And then a lot of it was done waiting. Immediately, there's almost no results. Are you with me? I mean, you can see the plow lines, but when you plant the seed, it's not like the next day you've got a full stock of wheat. It takes time. It takes a lot of time, probably a lot of prayer, if that farmer is a believer, is trusting in the Lord, hoping that the rains will come at the right time, not too much rain, just the right amount of rain, and that when the harvest time comes, they'll have a healthy crop. And then when the harvest comes, you can't wait because you don't feel like harvesting. You have to go harvest. Are you, are you with where we're going with this is that when the timing is right, you have to do the things that you need to do. There's a certain, um, there's a certain set of habits that go with being a farmer that you don't just get to say, I don't feel like this today. I have to go do it. You with me? So that's what I find interesting about the habits of the farmer. It takes a certain kind of discipline. It doesn't matter how the farmer feels or what's going on in his life when it's time to farm. All that becomes secondary if he wants to have a harvest. And I think there's something to be learned in that for you and me. We, we um, are going to talk about habits this morning that we need to form. And a habit is a tendency or a disposition to act in a particular way. Okay, uh, It's an established custom, a usual practice. And then sometimes when we think of habits, we think about it in the negative side of things because there are bad habits that we form. And those kinds of habits are habits that are the state of being dependent upon something. And here's the interesting thing that I find in life, and tell me if you think this is wrong, but bad habits are easy to form and good habits are hard to form. Anybody find that to be true? Not an overwhelming, is everybody awake? Is that true or not? The good habits are hard to form and bad habits are easy to form. And that bad habits oftentimes go in alignment with our, our nature, our fleshly nature. And good habits are things that come about by discipline. That we have to discipline ourselves. We have to say no to our feelings. We have to say no to the flesh. And we have to say yes to God in these particular areas. And so I want to talk to you about habits and, and how that relates to our Christian living. But before we do that, I need to talk about some things that habits cannot provide for you. The first thing that we need to know is that you can't expect for habits to set your priorities. You have to set your priorities before the habits are established. So before you come to what kind of person you're going to be on a daily basis, the first question we need to ask ourselves is, what are my priorities in life? Are my priorities to be uh, you know, a lazy person or whatever, to accomplish nothing, to have no goals, no aims? We want to ask the question, what are our priorities. And so this comes first. Priorities simply, if, if, if you're not used to thinking in terms of what priority is, priorities are the things that are important to us. What are the things that are most important? Okay, we need to answer that question. Habits can't do that for you. You have to come to your, your habits with that already decided. The second thing is that habits cannot supply you with motivation. And this is proven from the fact that if we set a habit that we're going to Run on the treadmill every day. Running on the treadmill does not make you want to run on the treadmill. Anybody find that to be true? That it actually sometimes does the opposite. We want to run less on the treadmill the more we run on the treadmill. Like, when is this going to be over? And here's the other thing that I found out. The more that you think about the time, the worse it is. You're better to distract yourself with something else. Anyway, 
It doesn't supply you with motivation. This comes from the will. And some will never do things that are hard because they're enslaved by how they feel. It's true, isn't it? We never do some things that are hard because we're enslaved. Our master is how we feel. Rather than what are our priorities. And so there's one simple trick to getting past how you feel that, that I found, and it doesn't, I, it doesn't go away. You have to deal with this about every time, is that getting past how you feel comes from just doing it and stop thinking about how you feel about it. If I know I got a difficult task on a Tuesday morning, one of the worst things that I can do is think about how terrible it's going to be. Or if I have a hard day's work, when I'd go to work with my dad and it was cold outside in Kansas and the wind's blowing and it's a different kind of cold, and I thought about how terrible it's going to be, the more I thought about how terrible it was going to be, the worse it was. And so the best thing I can do is put on my big boy pants and my wool socks and get out there and do it, right? So uh, the thing that I wanted to mention about that here is that habits don't supply you with motivation. You have to come with that from some other place. And so if you have no motivation, I wouldn't expect that good habits are going to be easy to form if there's no motivation. You have to supply that from somewhere else that has to come from either a positive or a negative motivation. And a positive motivation would be like, I want to achieve this particular goal. A negative motivation is when your mom says, if you don't clean this room, you're getting a spanking. That's the negative motivation. But either one of those can work and motivate us to our goal. What's interesting to me, and this this is kind of an aside to this, is that motivation or encouragement in the New Testament is not like our mushy word for encouragement. When we think of encouragement, we mean, we mean make somebody feel good about themselves. The word for encouragement in the New Testament means to cause somebody to have courage to take action. And sometimes the encouragement that comes is hard to take. It's not like you're a good boy and you're going to do great. It's you need to do better. You promote them on. There's a, a word in uh, Hebrews where it says uh, that we're to uh, prod one another on to, to good works. And so there's the prod. And then uh, the third thing I would say about habits, you can't expect habits to steer your heart. This comes from changing affections, and you have to bring your heart to these things. Um, and this is where a lot of us, I think, could go wrong. We, we sang, I don't know, the Holy Spirit must have been working on our service today because all of our singing went along with this. You know, that we, want, we don't want to just come and check a box. We don't want to just do a performance. Uh, we're here to worship you and nothing else. We're talking about motivations. We're talking about the reasons why we're continuing in this habit. I hope your habit is to come to church. You know that, you know, for me, every Sunday morning, and this is true for many of you, is that you're in the habit of coming to church. You wake up, you're ready to go. And even if you don't feel like it, you know where you're going to be. Your car is going there. You better get in there because your car is going to be going to church at this particular hour. And, and that's a good thing. But sometimes we're really afraid of not doing things with right motivation. And that's good. But what we often do in response to that is we kick out the habit and say, if I don't feel like it, I'm not going to do that thing because I don't want to do it out of mere ritual. I don't want to be accused of uh, my, these people worship me with their lips, but my heart, their hearts are far from me. We don't want to be accused of that. 
So what we do is we kick the habit out and say, we don't, we don't want to do that habit anymore. And what we really need to do is leave the habit in place and bring the heart into the habit. Are you with me? That's what God wants us to do is say, let's establish this pattern and go for it. And so this is where a lot of people go wrong. We sink into those habits. We'll come to our verse in just a moment. We'll sink into those habits which are easiest and most natural. And this is really encouraged by a chorus of voices all around us. There are people all around us singing, this is the way. They're saying, do what's natural to you. And by nature, they mean, do what you want to do in the moment. Okay? The other thing they'll say is, follow your heart. And if you've been here long enough, you know, that is not one of the mantras we live by in this church. We don't follow our heart. The Bible says that above all things, our heart is desperately wicked. It's wicked. If we follow our heart, it's going to lead us in the wrong direction. What we need to do is let the Holy Spirit lead our hearts. That's what we need to do. But often we hear that thing and it sounds so natural and so good that everybody's saying it. It must be true and it's not. If you follow your heart, it's going to lead you down the wrong path. You can see the fool in Proverbs chapters 1 through 7 where he's just being led about by wherever his heart wants to go. And he's headed towards destruction. We have this chorus of voices saying we need to do this, and we feel like we're being inauthentic if we do something that doesn't feel natural to us. Somebody told me, they don't go to church here anymore, but they told me a long time ago, said, why don't you, how come you don't, how do, how come you don't worship? Well, so when worship time came, and I wouldn't ask this of everybody, but I asked, them, asked this person that I had the kind of relationship I could do that with. How come you don't worship when it's time to worship? He said, I don't feel like it, and if I don't feel like it, I feel it'll be fake. And so I thought about that for a long time, because yes, we don't want to be fake. What's the right response? Just to not worship? How do we deal with that? I think the right response is not to say no to the environment. It's to change the heart, to bring the heart into alignment with what God is calling us to do at a particular moment, even if it doesn't feel natural to us. Why are our habits and our emotions not always in the same place or on the same page? Well, it feels inauthentic to us for a couple reasons, and I think the first one is, is that because the forming of habits, which go against nature, are calling us to be better than what we are. So when you come and you uh, you worship, even though you don't feel like worshiping, you know somewhere deep down it's the right thing to do. And your motivation is to try to worship the Lord, even though in this moment you're worried about something or you're burdened by something or you're just not feeling it on this particular day. But you do it because what you're doing is saying, I'm going to bring my will into subjection to God's will and do what he's asking me to do. And it causes us to become better people than we would otherwise be if we were led about by our emotions. Are you with me? I hope you are. And I know if you say yes, you're going to be held to that by the Holy Spirit. So I can sympathize with you not agreeing with that. But I'm telling you, I think this is the way the Christian life is lived, is that I don't always feel like doing what God's called me to do. But the reason I don't feel like it is because I have not allowed my heart to be so thoroughly sanctified that I respond to God every time the way that he would want me to. And even if you are thoroughly sanctified, sometimes our emotions and what we're called to do in a particular moment don't line up. And so we have a decision to make. Who is our master? How we feel? Or the Word of God? How we feel? Or the Word of God? Which one rules in our lives? 
And so here's the thing that occurs to me is that all of this, uh, the habits that God calls us to, are calling us to live better than we are at the present moment. We don't feel like it now, but what we're doing and worshiping anyway is we're creating the person we'll be tomorrow. Do you understand that? That That's such a good thing to understand is that we're causing our habits to come into conformity with him and we're changing who we are by our decision. How we feel is not all of who you are. Do you know that? Sometimes we equate the how I feel that that's the whole of me. It's not. Because if you're like me, you have arguments with your feelings. I don't feel like I love that person or I feel resentful towards that person. Feelings, that's not right. Get in line and love them. It's not right. It's not godly. And so I have to say no to how I feel, and you do too. If you're going to be a Christian, this is what we call mortifying the flesh. And we have to say yes to God. And we grow when we do that because what happens, C.S. Lewis talks about loving people. He said, don't worry if when you're called to love somebody, you don't feel as if you do. Act as if you do, and the feeling will follow. So what we're doing is we're acting in faith that God is going to make us into that person. You see that? So even when we worship, I don't feel like worshiping at this moment. Yes, but I am a worshiper, and this is my eternal vocation. Long after your career is over and your responsibilities as mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, when they're done, and we're all in heaven, we all stand on equal footing, guess what your vocation is? It's to worship the Lord. We're practicing for our eternal vocation. So you're not the person that you're supposed to be yet, but you want to be that person, so you invest in it. And it's interesting to me that when it comes to nature, we don't go with nature in every area. We're inconsistent in applying this. So if it comes to worship, I want to do what's natural. But when it comes to hygiene, we don't do what's natural. Are you with me? Thank God. We fight against it. We militate against it. We get rid of that stink. We wash off that dirt. We cut those toenails. We cut the hair. We shape it. We fashion it. We put on nice clothes. We dress in a certain way, fighting against nature. We wash our clothes. And it's the same way with education. We don't let our ignorance, so I just feel ignorant, and I'm just going to be ignorant. No. Our kids say, we don't like school. We're sending you to school anyway. Because you need to be shaped into the person you're going to be, not the person who you feel you are right now. We're becoming. Okay, So we're shaping you into that kind of person. We're thinking about that. We don't, we don't uh, deal with that in obedience to parents. Well, I just don't feel like obeying. I can tell you what my mom would have said to that. Well, what is it, Dean? You'll feel this. It's something along those lines. Yeah. You want to feel? I got feelings for you. And here they are. Yeah, that's exactly right. We don't always feel like it. And how about getting along with other people? We don't always feel like doing that, but it's the right thing to do. Or going to work. I'm amazed sometimes at the fact that we just don't feel like it. We just don't do it. How do we get along in the world? What if the army did that? I just don't feel like going up over the wall today and going into the battlefield. I don't want an army like that. I don't want a doctor like that. Well, I don't feel like doing your surgery today. The doctor, I need you to do that. Or the pastor, he doesn't just feel like showing up and preaching. Sometimes I don't. What if the people you count on most just said they didn't feel like it? See, I think there's a higher calling than 
to what we feel. I think if you looked into each of these areas of life, you would find that what's natural and what's good are two different things. I didn't, I was talking about this a moment ago, education. I didn't feel natural going to school until I became a Christian at 17. You know what that means, right? 12 out of 13 years, I felt unnatural in school. Looking out the window, just getting by. I wish I could go back and get that. Remember, and I invested all the time, but I don't have all of the resources that were given to me. Isn't that sad? To have to sit there bored and not get anything out of it. That's sad. Man, I wish I would have paid attention in language class. That was the most boring of them all. And now, that's my bread and butter. How in the world did I skip past that just going on? And I don't feel that my parents necessarily encouraged me to be a good student as much as they encouraged me not to be a bad student. You you know the difference? Don't get D's and F's. But if if you're not going to be a Rhodes Scholar, that's fine. I wish they had pushed a little more. They were smart people, but they didn't value education, I think, as much as I would have benefited from them valuing it. Something changed in me when I surrendered to Christ. I felt that it was a calling to honor God, not just with my heart, not just with my hands, but with my mind. That's true of all of us, I think. God didn't say, love me with all of your heart, and you just get the emotional card. He said, love me with all of your heart, soul, and mind. We're called to, we have, a, I think, a moral responsibility to be intelligent as Christians. Habits can be accomplished without heart, but they shouldn't be. And I know some uh, people who will not do anything unless they're feeling it in a moment. Not worship, not pray, not read their Bible, not go to church. Let's be clear about what this is. This is being mastered by our feelings, not driven by purpose. And if it bothers you that you're being inauthentic, why not just do the right thing and tell yourself like David did, Hope in God, I will yet praise Him. This is the right thing to do. I don't want to do this particular thing right now, but what I do want is to be considered a follower of God, and so I'm going to do it anyway. And I think we can all relate to those feelings. So, and as I promised, we're coming to our scripture, but these couple things, and we'll get there. Compare this this feelings-based kind of approach to Christian living with the rhythms of the Old Testament. Have you ever thought of this? Like, think of this with, with me if you would. Compare that with the sacrifices and prayers and the holy days of the Old Testament in which times were set. Okay? I, I think sometimes we enjoy the freedom of being able to just to worship whenever we want. And that's good. You should worship whenever you want. But in the Old Testament, would you consider the fact that there were holy days? If you didn't feel like worshiping on a holy day, too bad. We're all worshiping because it's the holy day, right? Or if you didn't feel like it was time for the evening sacrifice, guess what? It's time for the evening sacrifice. We're doing it. And if you're a priest, got a headache, it's time for the sacrifices. Got to do it. And I know it may feel like I'm laying a heavy burden upon us. I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is break us free from being dominated by our emotions. They don't have to control us. We can tell them that God is boss, and you're not. And so I'm not trying to say, um, 
lay this heavy burden like we've got to return to the Old Testament sacrifice. We don't. What I'm trying to show is that these rhythms happen and people had to adjust their lives to fit them rather than the other way around. And we often want to turn it the other way around and say, we've got to have the rhythms of God fit us. And that's backwards. There's something to be gained when we all come together. We're not all feeling the same thing today. I can promise you that. But we're all here together and we're all saying one thing with the vote of our lives, that God is important. He's worth serving. He's doing things good in the world. He's worth trusting in. He, he's good to me, despite how I'm feeling this particular moment. You have these sacrifices. They were a set time. They had a, they had a habit of doing these things. Think of, the, think of the instruction in the Psalms where there's commands to praise the Lord. Should they or we disobey God because our feelings aren't there? But I think our interested question is, how do we have habits with heart? First thing I would do is just argue that you not give up spiritual habits even when you're not feeling it. Continue to do those things, not because they're rote or somehow you're pleasing God, but because they help us to get into the place where we're following God in a rhythm. So, for example, if you're not feeling like praying today, pray anyway. Because there's a habit of prayer that forms, and there's a richness that comes with praying and talking to God when you feel like it and when you don't. The other thing it does is it says to your whole being, this is what we're about. And if a certain segment or faction of who you are wants to become a splinter cell of rebellion, you bring that back into alignment with God's will. You say, this is what we shall do, not how I feel, and letting that lead us. Don't get rid of the habit. Adjust the feelings. And I think that we can do that, and we have more power to do that than we realize. I'm not saying you can flip a switch and magically be happy. I don't mean that. But I do mean that we can resist the leadership of our feelings and saying, even if I don't feel like this, I can tell you many times I've come to church in a bad mood for one reason or another. And you begin to worship and you say to yourself, this is not right. I'm here to worship God. This is about Him. I have the wrong attitude here. Lord, would you forgive my bad attitude? Would you adjust that thing within me that is causing me to have this uh, problem? Would you help me to see the priority of worshiping you as more important than fixing that? And I can tell you, on every occasion, when I've taken that kind of heart with things, God's adjusted my heart and helped me at least to come into a better place with things. It doesn't mean I was walking on cloud nine and super happy, but it got my eyes off the problem onto him. And that's good, and that's important. There are days when it all seems like it's not worth it. And I think, too, listen, I think there are days that are created for problems. Anybody with me on that? I wrote it in my notebook this week. This day was not created for what I had planned. This day was created for the problems that I need to deal with. Can you relate to that? James chapter 1, right? Count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. This word for trials is like many colored trials coming in all at once. You're like, that describes the day that I had last week. It's a day created for problems. And the biggest thing to understand is that Life is not about us conveniently doing the things that are efficient in order to accomplish our goals. Life is about creating you into the image of God. It's true. 
So that means that these problems may be raw material for God's working purposes to make us holy. And not just like, oh, that disrupted, that blocked my goal. That disrupted my agenda. Well, God's got a bigger agenda, and that's to make you like Jesus. And if a little slow-driving person on the road, when you're behind and you're late for an appointment, helps to bring out the ugliness of your character so that you can see it, I'm an impatient person and I need to deal with this. God be glorified in that. He may use that to perfect our character. Listen to Galatians chapter 7. This is our verse, verse 10. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap life eternal. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Now, Paul is dealing here with the struggle that each of us have between flesh and spirit, the the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And by spirit, I don't mean your spirit. I mean the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit at times is at war with what our flesh wants to do. And we bought the modern secular view that we need to do whatever we feel. What, that, what I translate that to mean is that what we've said in believing that is that the world is right. We ought to do whatever our flesh wants. When the scripture shows us the spirit has to mortify the flesh, put to, you know what mortify means? Put to death the misdeeds of the body. Now, that sounds incredibly bleak, but it's not. There's a great joy in realizing that you are not a slave to your passions. You're not a slave to your emotions. Passions, by the way, in uh, the New Testament and earlier English, meant feelings. We're not a slave to those things. Desires, we're not a slave to those things. We can do much better. Look at the three commands that are here. And, and uh, as he comes out of chapter 5, where he's talked about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, he's talking about two different kinds of harvests that are going to come out of that. And if you sow in this particular kind of field with these kinds of seeds, you're going to reap corruption. But if you sow in this particular field with the help of the Spirit, you're going to reap life eternal. Now, it doesn't mean that you're earning by your good works or your investment eternal life. He's saying these are the things that eternal life... Christians who are saved, these are the kinds of things they produce when they surrender to the Spirit. We're responsible to be good acting Christians, not just Christians saved and terrible, terribly sanctified. He wants to make us more like Jesus. Are you with me? Okay, so notice the first command. The first command is don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Okay, this means don't be deceived into thinking that you can sneak one past God. God won't be the fool if we sow the wrong kind of seed. It will be us. Are you with me? Okay. God won't be the fool if we choose to sow to the flesh. And I think this may go back to the idea in the Old Testament that some had, and you can see it in several places in Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel. Um, I think one of the latter prophets, Zechariah, I think where people said, we can do whatever we want, God does not see. As if God doesn't look upon what we're doing. And what Paul is saying, God will not be mocked. He, he sees what's happening. And so this is to, 
to, to mock God is to make him into a senile old man who doesn't really know what's going on around him. He knows, and you'll get the crop that you plant for. You can't bury a rotten egg and expect a mango tree. It doesn't work that way. You have to plant the right kind of seed. The second, that's the first command is, and, and this is the strongest of all of them. Did you know that? The strongest of all the commands here in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 10 is don't be deceived. We can deceive ourselves into thinking that we can, we can sneak one past on God. We can invest in this way. We can sow to the flesh. We can sow to our emotions and somehow reap spiritual life. Can't do it. I'm amazed at how often the scripture tells us to deny ourselves. And what is the cultural mantra? Indulge yourself. The Bible, deny yourself. Culture, indulge yourself. The Bible, deny yourself. Culture, indulge yourself. Those are the different, that's the different worldview. And Christians are eating it up. You know why? It pleases flesh. Let's not become weary in doing good, is the second thing he says. Weary here is to lose motivation. Lose motivation in continuing a desirable pattern of conduct. So don't lose motivation in doing good. I think Paul probably has something very specific in mind. He's talking here about doing the right kinds of things and it has broad application. And I'm drawing more on the general principle for what I'm going to say in a moment. But uh, the specific thing that he's getting at here is in how you deal with other people. You can see it in the works of the flesh. They're relational. The fruit of the Spirit, they're relational. And so a lot of what God's calling us to has to do with how we treat other people. He says, don't get weary in doing good. Don't lose enthusiasm. Don't be discouraged to the point that you quit. Keep on doing it. If you have the slightest motivation to do the right thing, do it, even if you're not feeling it with all of your heart. And here's the thing that occurred to me. Zach was leading and he was saying, um, can, we, can we worship with the same kind of purity that God has of love towards us? I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And I thought to myself, I doubt it but I want to try. I don't know that I can worship with the same kind of purity that God shows in his love for us, but I want to try. Because most of the time, our motives are mixed. Anybody found that to be true? The motives are mixed. Like, you want to do the right thing, and you want to do the right thing for the right reason, but you also want to do it for this beneficial reason. And so we've got some mixed motives in things. Sometimes we find our motives conflicted. I want to do this, but I don't want to do that. Or I want to do this, but I want to do that thing. And it's a choice between two. It's trade-offs. How are we going to decide? Well, if you have the slightest motivation, even if it's in the lesser scale, I would encourage you to do the right thing and invest there. And you'll become the person who more naturally in time does the right thing with the right motivation. In time. Because we're training ourselves to become people of God. We act sometimes as if all of this comes down um, mystically from the Lord, and God does transform our inner person so that we can outwork the people that we're supposed to be. But he also relies upon us getting with the program and disciplining ourselves. It's not either or. It's not God or us. It's God and us. Remember Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your salvation for God is working in you. It's both. So we cooperate with him. And the third thing we see is let us do good to all people, 
especially those who belong to the family of believers. And that good here refers to our Christian responsibility. The wide application of that is all things good. The specific thing I think Paul has in mind in Galatians 6 is do good to other people. And uh, there's an interesting order here. Sometimes we think we should treat the world with the love of God and treat the church like we would treat stepbrothers. You know what I mean? And it says, do good to all. That's the whole world. Especially with special measure towards those who are of the household of faith. That's the church. That's Christians. So sometimes we, we, what we think is we've got this pie we've got to divide up. And the really good part goes to the church and then the lesser part goes to the world. No, instead of seeing it that way, do the good that you would do to the world. But remember that God wants you to love the family of God in a particular way. He does, all right? So uh, Paul appeals to the general principle, applies it specifically. The general principle is sowing to the Spirit has consequences for this life and the life to come. And sowing to the flesh likewise has consequences for this life and the life to come. And he expects that all Christians understand that we don't, we don't just go with what we feel. We let the Spirit have his way. And this verse is, has a great deal for what we need to know for Christian life. Let's uh, hurry down the home stretch, shall we? The reason uh, I wanted to bring this up today is as we're starting a new year, we need to develop disciplines in our lives that will help us to have a step up when we come to this point next year. Okay? So I want to talk about Bible reading. This is a passion of mine. Since I was first saved and went into Bible college, one of the things that's been a heavy burden on my heart is that God's people would know God's Word. Okay? I'm not a super great evangelist. I'll, I'll reach out to people and share the gospel with them. Um, I'm not a great administrator. Anybody knows will tell you that. Maybe I'm not a great preacher, but I will tell you this. I'm passionate that we know the Word of God. And so if we spend an hour here talking about the Word of God, that's why. Blame it on my feelings. Okay? I'm passionate about it. So I want to talk about Bible reading for just a couple minutes. This, I hope, will go quick. Um, I want to reference Psalm 119, 97. Oh, oh, how great. Uh, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me. They make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers. A good Bible teacher would want that, by the way. For I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders. I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every path of evil, so that I might obey your word. I've not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. We need to be Bible readers if this is going to be who we are. So this is going to require for us to be Bible readers on a consistent basis, is we're going to have to say yes to the Spirit and no to the flesh. We're going to have to say, we're going to have to sow to the Spirit and not to the flesh. The flesh is going to say to us at times, I don't need that, or I'm too tired for that, or I don't want to do that, or I don't know if I even agree with that. And I would encourage you, uh, resist the flesh, say yes to Jesus, and sow into spiritual disciplines. And this is one of them. 
is reading God's word. We have a privilege that we don't even realize. One of them is that we are a literate society and we can go and enjoin ourselves to the biblical authors and read it and we don't need somebody else to do it for us. We're not, we're not redeveloping a Protestant papacy where we have to rely upon some leader up here to tell us what the Bible says. Now, we preach on Sunday morning. That's hopefully to help us get all on the same page. But I hope this isn't the only Bible you're getting because it's not the only meal you're going to eat. It's on Sunday. You're going to eat every day, several times. And if you're me, you're going to snack a little bit on chocolate. So I would encourage us, let's eat and feast on the Word of God. Let me uh, mention 10 reasons, because you have to have 10 um, reasons when you re- why you read the Bible, why you should read the Bible, or what happens when you read the Bible. Uh, first of all, you're listening to God's revelation of Himself, His ways, and His work. When you read the Bible, you're hearing about God's revelation of Himself. He's telling us who He is. He's telling us what His ways are, what His will is for us, for the world, and we're hearing about His work. For example, Jesus dying on the cross. When you read the Bible, you are keeping company with the great people of God. You're hearing about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're listening to the thoughts that God has given to Isaiah. You're hearing what Paul has spoken, or God has spoken through the Apostle Paul. You're keeping company with great people of God. When you read the Bible, you're broadening your historical footprint because we're locked into the moment. We're locked into the last 10 minutes of our existence. And what we need to do is we need to get outside of that. When you read the Bible, you're entering into an ancient world with ancient wisdom. It increases our historical footprint. If you want to know what a culture is like, your culture is like, go to a different culture. When you come back, you'll have a different view of things. You'll see things from a different perspective. We broaden our historical footprint. Fourth is when you read the Bible, you're traveling to a distant country. You're going to hear strange names. You're going to hear strange places. You're going to hear strange customs. You're not going to exactly know what to do with all of it all at once. But that's exciting. When you read the Bible, you're joining with other Christians through the ages because there are people for 2,000 years and beyond that, when you go back through the history of Israel, who've read the Word and are the people of God, and we're joining with them in shared knowledge. It's exciting. When you read the Bible, you're gaining classical wisdom for life. There's a book... Um, that's out by Thomas Foster, How to Read Literature Like a Professor. So he gives several ways that you can do that. If you want to read good literature, he says one of the things that you need to do is you need to be familiar with the Bible. And this isn't written from a Christian perspective. There's so many allusions in literature and figures and metaphors that you can't grasp unless you know what Scripture is talking about. When you think about the great writings, they're borrowing from the Bible. You get classical wisdom for life. When you read the Bible, you're challenging your ability to think. You think Christianly with spiritual priorities. And if we just sort of sit passively and watch pixels dance on our TV, we're not getting the same kind of thinking that we do when we engage text in the Word of God. It changes our thinking, and this has been proven. Nicholas Carr wrote a book, In the Shallows, What the Internet's Doing to Our Brain. As we stare at pixels, it changes our way of thinking. When we read a text, it changes our ways of thinking in a different way. It changes us. I would encourage us to read. You're you're reshaping your view of the world with God at the center. 
Because the world we live in is secular and pushes God to the margins. The world of the Bible has God right at the center. You're thinking God's thoughts after him. I'm not the first one to say that. Somebody else who's great has said that. He fought them first. He communicated them. He shared them with us. And we get to think them after him. Thoughts we would have never thought on our own. Wisdom that we would have never come up with had we sat around and pondered all day. It's found in the word of God. You are opening yourself up to the voice of the Holy Spirit. One of the ways the Holy Spirit speaks to us is he brings us back to the word and reminds us of those things that God has said. Remember, the Spirit will come and he will remind you of everything I've said. That's one of the ways the Holy Spirit works. And I'm telling you, you get out there in the world and you're going about your business and suddenly a verse pops in your mind. The Holy Spirit's brought it into your mind. This is the ways that he speaks to us. Let me mention some practical things here. There's seven of them because there has to be seven and not six and not eight. Um, first is this, that when you begin to read the Bible, you'll not understand everything at first, and that's okay. Get familiar with the message and the continuity of it all, and don't worry about the minute details. When you're first starting out, just read. And you will be enriched just to read it. You're not going to understand everything all at once, but you're going to get familiar with the story. Second thing is that translation doesn't have to be an obstacle If you need an easier translation, let me suggest to you the New Living Translation. It's a great translation to get the gist of what the Bible says. And as you go along, NIV, uh, ESV, if you prefer the King James, go for it. But I find the Elizabethan English a little bit of a hang-up for understanding. If you want to read that, fine. But I'm just encouraging you, don't let translation be an obstacle to you. Third is see Bible reading as layering. Your Bible understanding of tomorrow starts today, and it's an adventure. The mountains have always uh, struck me with wonder, even as we, we look out here and see the mountains. They can, look, they can look a certain way in the background, and then they look a different way when you're in the middle of them. It's kind of like when you visit a place that you're not familiar with, and then later when you become familiar with it, it looks different to you. Can you relate to that? So when you get into the mountains, it's kind of like that. Uh, there's a depth that we don't see until we're in them. And I don't mean that when you get into the Scriptures, their meanings change. They always meant what they always meant. I don't believe that we come to it and just let the Scripture somehow change as we read it. It it means what it always meant. But when you get into the middle of them, you, you start to see the depth that was there. I'll give you an example. When I was a kid, I knew God said, you shall have no other gods before me. Anybody remember that one? Uh, And I knew that was talking about idolatry, but I thought idols were little statues. And and that's true. Some people put their faith in carved objects. But what I came to understand is that idols can also be non-material. They can be ideas. They can be people. They can be attitudes. And so the idolatry I thought of as a kid proved to have much more depth than I realized as a kid. Do you, do you see where I'm going with that? That as you get into it and as you come to it with more maturity in God, you see things that were always there but not apparent to you because you weren't mature enough to receive them at first. And that, I think, is very important. That same principle is true of God. My concept of the Trinity has grown. My understanding of the golden rule has grown. And these things all mean the same thing, but... As I occupy the world of the Bible, it becomes richer. Now, the Bible is not a book that you can exhaust. Did you know that? I, like, you can't just 
get to the end of it. I heard somebody say to me one time, I've heard a couple people say this to me, smart people, people who have been in the scriptures, who knew the Bible well, I've read enough of the Bible in my life, I don't need to read it anymore. Christian people, ministers, I am blown away by that. How can you ever, even if you studied it every day, all day, how can you get to the end of its riches? Here's the thing, we're not trying to find new revelation or new interpretations no one's ever thought of. What we want to understand is what God has been saying all along. And there's enough there to enrich us for a lifetime and more. The more you study, the more God's Word will open up to you. And so here's what I'm challenging us with this year. Can we be people of the Word that will make a habit of reading God's Word? I can promise you if you're bored out of your mind at church, it will get better if you read your Bible every day. It will. The sermons will get better. Like, man, pastor's gotten to be a better preacher. No, I've always been the same level. When our understanding of the Bible gets better, it's more enjoyable. I can promise you that. Because as I was going through Bible college, I remember when I first got there, there was a certain kind of preacher I loved. And as I grew more in my understanding of the Word, I'm like, man, that guy is a hack. This is what I'm after. And it was the Word of God. And, and my tastes have grown since then. And I think what happens is as you come to understand the Word, your appetites shift. Just like when you become an adult, we don't want to eat a bunch of sugar like we did when we were kids. Grosses us out. It's too rich. We, want, we have a more subtle palate. And I think that can happen in our spiritual lives as well. Let me suggest something to you. I know we're not on the 1st of January, but if you'll read your Bible for 15 minutes to 18 minutes every day, you'll be done in a year. Set a timer. Maybe you want to read a chapter. I would encourage you, if you do set a timer, don't stop in the middle of a sentence. Finish the, finish the chapter if you can. Psalm 119, maybe you want to stop somewhere else. But um, read for 15 minutes a day. And actually, it'll make up for the time you've already missed if you haven't started up to this point. And beyond that, I think you'll finish early because... I heard somebody say recently, if you'll read it at the pace you talk for 12 minutes a day, you'll finish it in a year. 12 minutes. That's doable. We're not talking about entering into seminary and getting some kind of a master of divinity or anything. We're talking about 15 minutes a day of reading the Bible. And I can tell you, it changes lives. I have to point out Georgia. She's the lady in the sunglasses over here. She was, uh, she's a student of the Bible. I know there's a lot of others. I'm teasing you, Georgia. There's a lot of others that are like this, but uh, every Sunday you'll see a transaction take place. She comes and gets my notes, and she wants to take them home and look through them again. I think she's checking to see if what I said is true. But uh, her heart is to, to know the Word of God, and in the time that I've known her, she's grown tremendously. She loves the Word of God. And sometimes she does this. She shuts her phone off so that nobody can get a hold of her when she's reading the Bible. Why? Why would you do that? The outside world is calling. The outside world's always calling. Which voice is more important? The voice of God? And there's other important voices out there, but what do we ever do before cell phones? If it's important enough, the sirens will go off. Are you with me? So I, I would encourage you, let's be people of the Word this year. And what that's going to mean is that there are going to be days when you're going to feel it and days when you don't. And they found that there's this 
sort of circadian rhythm that develops in our lives spiritually, if, if not intellectually, that when we do the same thing every time, every day at the same time, our bodies start to get into that rhythm and get prepared for it. Your mind starts to get into that rhythm. So if you need to, set an hour and say, this is my time for reading the Word. God will speak to you. You'll find your spiritual life will grow because as we hunger for his word, God is going to speak to us and he's going to come down in a particular way. And you're betting on your priorities. You're investing in your future and it matters. Sorry, I've gone longer than I wanted to. I'd like to invite you today to consider committing yourself to sowing to the spirit instead of the flesh. Maybe you've recognized as we've talked here, I've, give, I've given my emotions free reign. I need to rein those boys in. They're wild horses. And they're dragging me away. If you want to continue the country song. That's what they do. And so today, could you respond to the Lord and say, Lord, you are master and not how I feel. I want to devote my life to you. I want to give my habits to you. I want you to form good habits and get rid of bad habits. The bad habits you can read about, chapter 5. Good habits you can read about as the fruit grows. Um, God's doing good things. Stand with me if you would. Thanks for your gracious attention. There's a lot here. I'll be honest with you that one of the reasons you probably hear echoes of this kind of message again and again is because this is the area I struggle in. If I just let it go, my emotions would reign supreme in my life. They would. I have to say no to them. I have to discipline them. They can become spoiled children. And we have to say no to that kind of thing in order to follow the Lord. Sometimes there's great fear in stepping out and doing what you don't want to do. But could we say to uh, how that fear that you're not my Lord, Jesus is? I fear him more. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Take a moment here to respond to the Lord. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. I just want you to know he died on the cross for your sins. He loves you. God wants to forgive you. And he has done everything necessary for a relationship between you and him to be restored by sending his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. Placing upon him all of our sin and guilt and upon him all of the wrath that those sins deserve. So that if you receive that gift that God's given, God's anger is turned away from you. Thank God for that. We don't want to be under his wrath anymore. That's not a, that's not a fury that cannot be quenched. That's a deliberate setting against a person until they come to a place of repentance. God loves us. You're finding yourself in that place today. Would you just simply say to the Lord, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, for Jesus' sake. A beautiful prayer like that, if it's said sincerely, opens the door to the supernatural work of God in your life. Today could be a new day for you. If you made a, if you prayed a prayer like that, I'd like to talk with you afterwards. Come talk to me. I'd like to help uh, get you started in the right direction and following Christ. For the rest of us, I think there's many here. You're following Christ. You've made that decision already that's firm in your heart. You want to you wanna go after God with all you have, but maybe there's some that have said, would say, my emotions have been ruling my life. Not only ruling, but ruining. I need to get a handle on that. 
They command where I go. They command what I do. They command how I feel. They command everything. Obviously, emotions command how we feel. But maybe not. Maybe it's in our decision, in our will, those things can change. If you'd like to say to the Lord today, God, I'm not going to let those things be my master anymore. You're my master. Would you just say that to him? Let that be your prayer. Lord, you are my Lord and not the flesh. The flesh and the spirit are at war. Say yes to the spirit today. Today, maybe you'd like to say, God, I want to start hungering and knowing your word more. I want to enter into the process of the discipleship of the mind. Would you change my mind? Would you change my heart? Would you renew me to be more like you? Would you submit to the Lord today and just say, God, with your help, I want to make a habit of being in your word. You don't have to read it in a year. You can go slower. But would you just simply say to the Lord, I want to be in your word. I want to know your word better and commit yourself to some kind of plan. Do something that's manageable. If, if a chapter or 15 minutes is too big, challenge yourself. I would never encourage somebody to do this other than to get the, this started. Challenge yourself. I'm going to read a verse. And then once you start reading that verse, read more. But let that be your minimal. Let that be your start. I'm going to read a verse. But don't just stay there. Read more and more. Commit yourself to God's word and to be his kind of person. I want to take a moment, open up these altars if you'd like to come pray. Commit yourself to this purpose this year and say, Lord, I want to be um, transformed into a, a better follower of you this year. Come and pray. Spend a few moments with the Lord here at the altar. We're going to go in just a moment. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.